look at Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy was a protege of the Apostle Paul. He was a young man. He was somewhat, when we say young, that means he, he probably was in his 30s. And the Bible, when it says young, it, it kind of uses the Greek. In the Greek world, anybody who was, a, was of military age was considered young, and military age was capped at 40. So Timothy could have been anywhere in that. Most, most commentators and, and historians think he was around 30 when Paul's writing to him in 1 Timothy. The Apostle Paul's writing to this young leader. He's a young pastor. And part of what we know about Timothy is that he, had this, he was a very gifted young man. He was a, someone who had been trained um, in the scriptures. He, he was interesting because he was ethnically of two worlds. His mother and his mother's side, um, they, were, they were Hebrew, they were Jewish. But his father was Greek. And, and so he, he is he's kind of a, a half and halfer. You know, he, he, he comes from sort of both, both places. And... Um, you know, I was thinking about, you know, just sort of, kind of like my kids. My wife's Chinese, and, and so our kids are called hapas. They're hapas, they're half-half, you know. And we often talk about that, you know, what, the, what we share um, together as we've kind of come together. And in Timothy's case, he, he, was a, he was of two different sort of cultures, but they had merged together. He had struck up a tremendous love for, the, for Paul. Paul loved Timothy. Timothy was loyal to Paul. Um, Timothy, in his own way, was brilliant. He had, he had a, a strengths that were clear, and um, he had uh, a leadership, but he had a tendency, listen, to be afraid. His tendency was not to be assertive. It's pretty clear that what he struggled with, partly because of his age, but also just because of his demeanor. You know, not, we're not all the same. Some of us um, were more forceful. Some of us are more aggressive. Others of us are, are sometimes more timid, and, and we may be more reluctant to assume responsibility. We don't want to commit to anything. Others of us will commit to everything, overcommit, right? So it just depends on who we are. And, and a lot of us maybe, though, might relate to Timothy because Timothy felt somewhat intimidated because he was working with a lot of people who were older than him. I, I was thinking back in my, my own life. And again, I'm just trying to share out of my own life a little bit here. But I was thinking back how when I was just starting as a younger pastor, you know, I was 25. I can, so I, I, it was, and, and by the way, next year will be 25 years. And that'll be an interesting time frame because it was in 1988 that I remember starting and what it felt like. Uh, our first son had just been born. Uh, my grandfather, who had been my mentor, had retired and then he had just died. And we weren't really a part of a denomination. And so it was, I felt, felt, you know, the church was much smaller, but I felt tremendously sometimes intimidated. And part of it had to do with the fact that, you know, when you're 25, you really just don't have a lot of life experience. And so it's, it's hard sometimes talking because there are things about life you may have theoretical opinions about, but you haven't really walked through them. And so sometimes it makes it a little more difficult to have a broader reach. I, what I'm trying to say is I get how Timothy would have felt a little intimidated. I remember those days. And it was sometimes challenging. And so Paul was, was trying to encourage Timothy not to pull back and use his relative youthfulness as an excuse from accepting responsibility. And instead, he was challenging him to be an example with his life and to, to not pull back, but instead to push forward. And so what we're about to look at, look at is a piece of, of Paul's first letter to Timothy. We're going to look at the fourth chapter. And what we're going to pull out of this portion of the fourth chapter are what I'm calling five life principles. 
And these life principles are things that you and I can sort of sit with and apply because we're challenging ourselves around this idea of growing. I am going to ask the Lord, and I've already done it, to help us all, you know, seek to pursue the growing life in God. And so let's read this together. In 1 Timothy 4, um, it's in your handout. You can follow with me in the scripture as well here if you have your Bibles. But Paul writes this. He says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. One who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Now, one of the things that initially stood out to me there when I was looking at this verse was this idea of nourished by the message of faith. You see that phrase? Nourished by the message of of faith. And so Paul's challenging Timothy to to be a blessing to other people, but what he's reminding him of is that you yourself need to be nourished by the message of faith. And that reminds us of a great principle and a great truth. That, and we'll just put this up as principle number one, that we cannot give to others what we are not ourselves taking in. In other words, if, if we want to be a blessing to others, we're going to have to pay attention to our own self. You know, we, we, we often talk about, oh, what it means to have a nourishing diet physically. And many of us know that what we put into our bodies is going to affect us. Our overall health, sometimes if, if we're out of whack in our sleep patterns or we're overworking ourselves or we're eating a ton of junk food, and we've gotten into a pattern where we're not sleeping right, we're not eating right, we're not exercising, what happens is it can have an effect on our overall health. We get it. And even it, and sometimes, just, sometimes when we're, one of the challenges is to eat, eat healthy, eat properly, what we put in affects us. And that's, listen, if that's true physically, it's even more so spiritually. What we put into our mind, what we put into our spirit, I've often said that the things that we expose ourselves to and um, are listening to and watching, you know, those are the things that ultimately shape us, what we're investing. I mean, here's the deal. If we want to live a growing, vibrant life with God and we want to really do this well, then it matters what we put into ourselves. To really grow and be healthy, we've got to nourish ourselves in this message. We've got to get ourselves committed to the idea of knowing his words His words, Jesus said, my words to you, they are spirit and they are life. The psalmist says, my word, his word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. It shows me and guides me in the path of wisdom. How shall a young man cleanse his way, gain a foothold in the moral life by taking heed according to your word? The word of God is a a beautiful gift to us. It's something that we need to fill our lives. My point is this. We, if we're serious about wanting to um, pursue the Lord and we want to see things begin to flow out of our lives, then we have to think about what we're putting into our minds. The idea that we can put a bunch of junk food into our mind and then get something else out you know, of health is just not going to... How we pursue our growth, are we, are we taking time to, to engage his words? Are we having good quality interaction with other people who are also seeking to, to follow Christ? Are we, are we thinking long thoughts? Are we pausing to have reflective prayer in our life? Are we looking at our life 
instead of just being on the move all the time. And then we're so on the move all the time that when we actually do have free time, we basically just pull the plug and do stuff that is kind of mind-numbing and doesn't really build us. And again, I'm not, I am not anti-entertainment. I mean, I'm, you know, go Niners, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, come on. <laughs> but what, what, I, what I'm saying, though, is that don't forget, don't forget to take care of our spirit and pay attention. Pay attention to what's going into us. Sometimes people say, well, I just don't know. I'm just not strong enough. How's your diet? I'm kind of weak in this area. Are we exposing ourselves to stuff that's just going to weaken us? Are we making adjustments? This is what we're talking about. How are we nourishing ourselves? Look what Paul says. Go back here again. He says this. He says, you know, if you explain these things to brothers and sisters, Timothy, listen, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching that you followed. Now, listen, he says, don't waste your time arguing over tangential issues, you know, um, godless ideas and old wives' tales, and don't focus on things that don't really matter. What are you saying? He says, instead, make the first things the first things. Make the main thing the main thing. What I want you to do is train yourself to be godly. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Train yourself to be godly. And Paul's basically saying is, you need to pursue a training program for your spiritual development. Now, again, we get that at a physical level. But Paul's saying, take that same approach and apply it to your life with God. What, what kind of a tailored training program would, would help us begin to really grow and have an effect in this world for the Lord? What kind of blessing would flow out of our life? What kind of character work would God be able to do? What kind of interior strength would be able to be built if we, if we committed ourselves for a season of our life to a serious spiritual training program? Paul says, I want you to train yourself to be a godly man. Think about that. It's, it's not excluding the work of the Holy Spirit, but what it's saying is we have a part in positioning ourselves, that it doesn't just come ha- you know, haphazardly. Because remember what I always say, I, at least periodically I say it, all right, that the garden unattended grows weeds. It doesn't tend itself. It's like I'm not, I look at my backyard, and it doesn't like all of a sudden, you know, on its own, it's perfectly, you know, taken care of. All everything, no weeds are there. Just no, no. If it's neglected, you know what happens? Everything starts to overwhelm it. So it is in our heart. If we we have to pay attention to the heart. Take care of your heart, and I'm talking spiritual, the center of our being, as Jesus called it. Pay attention to that which is eternal. Listen, you know, I was, I was, and again, I'll just put this up. We'll call this the life, second life principle, the life principle number two. And it is this, that we have to train ourselves to be godly. And part of the way we do that is by practicing delaying gratification. And I was thinking about this principle because I was reading an article, and this article had to do with uh, the, the writer of the article, Arthur Brooks, was talking about the principle of entrepreneurial success. And he was, they were, he was talking about how people tend to succeed in life, especially when they're starting businesses and things like that. And he said there's actually a tremendous amount of research on the links among success, character, and the ability to sacrifice. Just listen to this. He says it, it all reaches the same conclusion, that people who cannot defer current gratification tend to fail. People who cannot defer gratification, current gratification, tend to fail, and sacrifice itself is a part of entrepreneurial success. Now, he then went on to quote... Uh, refer to a study 
Now, this study was done at Stanford in 19, I believe it was 72, by a psychologist named Walter Michel. And, and some of us are familiar with it. It's called the marshmallow test. Say, so last night when I shared this, I had never heard of the marshmallow test. But many people came up to me and told me, you mean you never heard of the marshmallow test? And I said, well, I mean, I, I started to feel like I hadn't really lived because I didn't know about the marshmallow test. Well, here's, the mar here's what happened. In 1972, oh, pull out a marshmallow. In 1972, Michelle decided that they were going to run a test. And the test had to do with, yes, a marshmallow. We're going to pull out a nice jumbo. Mar that's a really good size marshmallow right there. And what they did was they had young children um, sit in front of a marshmallow. And then they said, uh, you can, you, if you will wait 15 minutes, you'll get a second marshmallow. All you got to do is wait 15 minutes to eat that. They said that it was fascinating because what happened was, first off, two-thirds failed. The first group, they said before the marshmallow had even been put there was already, already been eaten. So I mean, they didn't even, it was like, they didn't even stop. It was no, there was no processing delay. They said there was another group though, another third of them, that they so badly wanted the second one, but they said it was amazing. And people said, you, they have a video on this, so I've never seen it, but they said, literally, some of the kids were going, <laughs> just, just in absolute anxiety and pain, you know, banging their heads, uh, wait, just wait, trying to get 15 minutes to wait so they could hold off and get the second one. It was amazing. And you know what they said is that, that what was fascinating, because they followed them through their lives. And they found that the ones who had been able to exercise restraint had a much higher likelihood of, of according to our culture, would be of achievement. Because early on in their life, they were practicing the principle of delayed gratification, holding off on something for the initial benefit to get a larger benefit. And there's a spiritual principle here. There really is. Because for one thing, a lot of times the Lord is trying to teach us how to exercise restraint. I go back to the phrase. What did he say? Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Find an intentional practice in your life that teaches you that how to live with more restraint in your life. You will be more effective. You will be a better blessing. Listen to me. He says, train yourself to be godly. You know what Paul said this later on? He said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he said, um, when I was a child, I, I, you know, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child. Because 15 minutes to a child is a long time. But now that I'm a man, you may say, now that I'm a woman, I've made a decision to put away childish things. I have. And it has to do with maturing in the Lord and learning how to let go. Now, I think a lot of us can relate. There are certain things in our lives where it really is hard for us. And God wants to teach us how to grow in our areas of weakness so that we can soar with our strengths. All of us have unique gifts, capacities, things that God's entrusted into our lives, part of who we are. There are people that we can touch for him. But we're going to have to get a strength and a love in our own heart that's, that's, that's healthy. That means we're going to have to apply principles of God's word and let them take effect in our life and let that good garden grow inside of us. I've met so many people. It's amazing. You know, 
we, just because we're strong in one area of our life doesn't necessarily mean that, that we don't have any weak areas. And some of us are really sensitive to some of our weak areas. And we feel sometimes like we're ineligible because we just, we just don't have the strength. So we don't talk. Can I say this? That the Lord wants to teach us how to get a strength in our lives by his grace, through his spirit, that allows us to speak not with self-confidence or overconfidence, but with humility of spirit about what God can do in a life that's yielded to him. He wants to help us grow. That's what he does. And he wants to help us get better in areas that we're weak, and he wants to help us soar in areas that we have strengths in so that we can be the blessing he intends for us to be. And that brings me to the next verse. Let's go back and look at it. It says this, do not waste time arguing over stuff that don't matter. Basically, train yourself to be godly. And then he makes this point. He says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Why? Because it has benefits. It promises benefits both in this life and the life to come. You know, it's interesting because Paul's writing to Timothy out of a, Timothy, look, the Greek culture was very much into the outer person. They are the ones that developed the idea of gymnasium, right? The Olympics, gymnasium. This is all has to do with Greek culture. And Paul's saying, look, look, physical exercise has real benefit. We get that. It has benefit. It's good. It's good for you. He says, but I'm going to tell you something. Spiritual investment is even better. And that's the third principle. As beneficial as physical is, and it's good, spiritual is way better. Why? Because it not only has the benefit of this life, but also the life which is to come. And many people who are just amazingly detailed in the training regimes and the, the preparation for running races and the diet intake and so much of the conversation in the culture that I'm a participant of has to do with fitness and everything else. But it's all about the outer person. And Jesus taught us that, that it is so much more important to pay attention to that which is eternal inside of us and not just external that will fade away. Because as, as much as I wanted to, the fact of the matter is this body is going to perish. It will not last. It cannot last. It is like a tent. It has only so much use in it. At some point, it will be let go. In its present form, it cannot go on forever. It is, it is, yes, I can invest in it, I can lengthen it out, but even that, I control nothing. Because none of us knows the end of our day. One of the illusions of youth is that I've got all my life to live out. Maybe, maybe not. The time is now to honor God, now. To contend for the growth, now. Not due to, everybody has an opportunity to make a decision to follow the Lord with a seriousness and an intentionality that is going to produce fruitfulness in our lives. Paul's saying, Timothy, physical exercise, it's good, but don't forget what's even better. Pay attention to the soul. Pay attention to that which cannot, as Jesus said, be taken from you. What will it profit a person if they gain the whole world, but they lose their own soul? What will a man give in exchange for life? Better, Jesus said, to be rich towards God than to forget him and just pursue these things that none of us can hold on to anyway. They go to another, and we know not what happens of them. Riches fly away. But he that does the will of God endures.
pursue the Lord. Paul, let's go on. He, Paul says this. He then, he then says to Timothy, he says, not only do I want to remind you that physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in life to come. And he says, that, that's a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it as a trustworthy saying. He says, but look, he says, for our, our hope is in the living God. We build our lives this way. Don't forget that. We're not building our lives on sinking sand or on structures that cannot last. He says, we are building our lives on the living God. And the living God is the one who stirs in us and works through us. He is the savior. He is the hope. He is our hope. Our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially, particularly, all, the, all believers. And what he's saying is that Jesus, Jesus gave his life for the world, but those he's differentiating between those who accept him and decide to have him as their savior, their personal savior. It's a choice we must all make. But it's a reminder. I was looking at this and I was going, wow, he, Paul's not pulling any punches here. He said, he said those who, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. What he was saying is that sometimes in the Christian life, there is, there is struggle. And it's a great life principle, and we'll just put it up there as the fourth one. Because what he says, what he's saying is this, that, that the Christian life may not always be easy, but it has a great goal. It's lived with hope, hopefulness always. The accent is always on hopefulness because we serve a living God. And, and I was reminded of something because I've been reading a lot um, about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you are probably aware of this amazing book. It's been a bestseller for the past year. It's won a number of awards. A book on the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. In fact, uh, they gave a, the, the author gave a copy of one to the president. Um, at a prayer breakfast. It's been an amazing, amazing book. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of us know about him, many of us don't. He's, he was probably one of the great theologians of the 20th century. Certainly one of the most remarkable Christian figures that lived in, the, in that 100-year period there. He had, depending on how you look at it, the misfortune or the fortune of emerging into the strength of his, his 20s and 30s at the same time that Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich were moving to take over his homeland in Germany. He was a young pastor. Um, he, he had to decide, as so many German pastors and people had to decide what they were going to do. You understand at the time, there was so much pressure to conform. You had to slowly make decisions. They, it wasn't too long after Hitler took power that they began to tell the church, the German church, that they were going to have to honor this separatist code. And so that even that all the Jewish people in their churches were going to have to be forced to leave. And uh, there were many believers. And this was a problem. And, each, they had, and then on top of it, eventually they were told, you can no longer see Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Adolf Hitler is now the head of the church. And you either honor that or you risk the loss of all things, including your life and your family. Now you get to decide. And it was intense. I do not, uh, cannot, it, I thought about it. What does it mean to put your life on the line? Many of them decided they could not abide by this and they became a movement called the Confessing Church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the key people in the Confessing Church. Separately, he also, because of who he had, his family connections, he ult ultimately also joined in with the plot, even though he initially was a pacifist, he ultimately joined in the plot to kill what he said was the personification of evil. And he was part of the plot that was that when they attempted to take the life of Hitler. Well, he was arrested by the Gestapo 
Firstly, because he was a pastor. Secondly, when they found out that he had actually been connected to the plot to kill, assassinate Hitler, he was, it, a determination was made when Hitler was dying that he wanted to settle the score with anybody who had been even remotely connected with that plot. And so the decision was made, even though 23 days later Germany was going to surrender, and Hitler knew he had lost everything. He sent out a word to the Gestapo, to the Gestapo that he wanted everybody put to death who had been involved in that. And so they pulled Bonhoeffer out of the, of the group that he had been with, a group of dissidents. And um, they led him, and, and, and they hung him. And he had written some amazing things. He was a shining star. We live out of his, many of his words are so profound and beneficial to us. But one of the things he did was he turned to, the, to one of the, the men, the English officer, and he said to him, he said, this is the end, as he was making his way out. And then he turned to them all and he said, for me, the beginning of life. This is the end, for me, the beginning of life. And he walked out, 39 years old. And I thought, wow, Lord, you know, you don't really ask us to die for you, but you are maybe asking us to die to some things in our life and live for you. And I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to, I want to be okay with struggle because I have a living hope in you, and I want to live like a person who has that hope and believes and trusts you and builds for things that cannot be taken. The beginning of life still awaits. Paul goes on, we'll just conclude by saying this. He says, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all those believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you. That's like he's saying, my son, because you're young. Don't pull back. Instead, determine to be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live in your love and your faith and in your purity. Think about this. What is he saying? I call those the five spheres of growth. I'm going to talk about them next week. Timothy, seek to be an example in what you say in how you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Don't pull back because you're young. Press in. Take the responsibility. Step forward and live for God. Seek to be an example of the Lord and of the reality of Jesus Christ so that other people will see it by the words that you speak, by the way you live your life, by the love that you have by the faith that, that is demonstrated and the purity that characterizes who you are. Seek these things. Excel for God. Don't let, don't let anything be... Listen, don't let your youthfulness be an excuse. All the reasons why we, have, we have, always will have excuses, why we're not wanting to really contend for growth in our life with God. The last thing I'll say, and I'll put this up there, is this. At every, this, this reminds us, the fifth life principle, which is this one, that we are to contend for growth uh, to be a growing, vibrant example of Jesus at every life stage that we're at. So it really doesn't matter if we're young or if we're old. Some of us, this is our time to step forward and to pursue God. We say, well, I'm young, kind of want to live my life out, and then I'll decide if I want to get serious about the Lord. Don't do that. Time is now. Tomorrow isn't promised. Don't waste the years. Honor the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek to live a life that is pleasing in his eyes. Seek to be a difference maker for God. 
Live humbly, live intentionally, live committed. Seek to be an example in the way you live and what you say in your love and your faith and in your purity. For those of us who are older, and again, what is older? Anyone's over 90. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Anybody in between, we're good shape. Every life stage has its opportunity. I've met some amazing people who are advanced in years who have such vibrancy and love for God that it is contagious and inspiring. My grandfather used to tell me there is no retirement when it comes to following Jesus. It's the growing life. As long as there's breath inside of us, we commit ourselves to growing. Every stage of our life, we commit ourselves to the vibrant life in God. It may mean shaking some things up every now and then because we get stuck in ruts. It may mean creating a new training regimen or creating a new set of relationships to stimulate things and catalytically move things inside of our heart. But the key is to stay fresh with God, to stay engaged in his word, to stay committed to being a person who is on the grow and not just wasting. It doesn't matter how long. They used to say, somebody said, I have a, 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 on, my, on my wall in one of the rooms where I keep most of my books, there's a poster that says, it's from Mark Twain, it says, and I can't even remember the exact quote, but it basically says is, um, it, it doesn't matter if you can read if you never read, right? You, the man who, 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 who doesn't, who basically the man, I mean, now I'm completely forgetting what it was, but I, <laughs> the man who doesn't read really is no different than the man who can't read. You have to choose. We have to choose. And at the same time, so just because we, we get to choose, are we going to do this? My prayer is that we would. We would stay growing and vibrant and alive in God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to bless all of us. And here's the last thing I'll say about this. We are a multi-generational church, which is great. But this is like we're building something. The value of church community is you can build brick at a time. You build something in your life together. We make a move. We're making a journey together. And we're building one brick at a time something. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your words of life. They're good words. Just because we have the gift of life, if we don't use it, what good is it? I mean, I guess it's something, but teach us to treasure this gift that we call life and then to, to not just fall into patterns of deadness and apathy. Their arms crossed, angry, disillusioned, depressed about things. I pray that you give us the gift of a, a soft heart. Deliver us from childishness. Give us childlikeness. Give us a heart that is soft and open before you, pliable. Help us to be a living stream, not a dead pond. Help us to live in the life of the Spirit and to even submit to you our weaknesses, our fears, and our sinfulness, knowing that you love us still and call us to places of breakthrough. Remind us, Lord, of all the people, the little ones, friends, family members, strangers we will meet on the way in those serendipitous appointments that you've set up, that we've been called to speak your words in those places. Remind us, Lord, to seek to be the type of person that represents your heart honestly and well.
Give us the gift of a growing heart. I pray your blessing over these closing minutes, the closing song, the prayer that it really represents in our time of giving in which we honor you and, and allows us to have a community here. So we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>